Welcome to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast where seeing things differently inspires limitless possibilities. This podcast is being brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Limitless was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community in order to show the world that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the executive director and founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marcelet. Welcome back to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. I'm your host, Sean Marcelet, and I'm so excited you've joined us today. We have a really interesting topic. Today, we're talking about accommodations in university, and my two co-hosts are Jill and Ishita, who both happen to be SFU students. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Can you start by introducing yourselves, your level of vision, and what are you taking in university? Um, yeah, so I'm Jill. I am um, in my fourth year at SFU in the uh, communication major and publishing minor. Hopefully only one more year to go. Um, and my visual impairment is called retinopathy of prematurity, is the eye condition. Um, I have zero usable vision, but I could see a bit before. So it's an interesting perspective. <laughs> Great. Hi, everyone. My name is Ishita. I am a third year student at SFU. I'm currently studying psychology um, and I have a condition called cone rod dystrophy, which primarily affects my central field of vision. So I do have usable vision um, and it's just that I'm able to see general shapes um, and colors, but I'm not able to see finer details. And you guys have invited our guest today, Megan, who's an access aide at SFU and coincidentally works with or has worked with both of you which is super like kind of crazy and great uh welcome Megan hello thanks for having me yeah I I think we're definitely going to dive into like how you got to be in that position and how you met both of these ladies but before we go there I, I think it's important for our listeners to know what kind of accommodations are available for a student that's blind or partially sighted uh, I mean, we'll talk specifically about SFU, but I think that generally those supports hopefully are available at most universities. But um, Jill, do you want to start us off? The main one, like, I mean, every student's situation is a bit different in what they need and what they get. Um, so you, usually you'll meet with like a caseworker within the disability center or in our case, the Center for Accessible Learning, and they'll go over all of the accommodations with you. Um, especially at the beginning of your first semester and then you meet up with them to renew, like renew them and go over them every semester. Um, so like the main ones that I get being fully blind would be, I get an access aid, who's <laughs> Megan. Um, I get a note taker, which for each of my class, a student volunteers to share their notes with me. So I find it quite difficult to take notes myself. Um, I got time and a half on all quizzes and exams. And I also get um, extra time on assignments, uh, depending on the assignment and how much visual content is included. So those are my main ones. And they're all, for every class, for every semester, um, whether that's an undergrad, continuing study program, a minor, um, even up into the master's programs, they all all those accommodations are covered for every program. So yeah, those are kind of my main ones that I get and I use for every class. So, What about you, Ishta? Mine are pretty similar to Jill. I would say the gist is the same. Um, I got note takers. I get extra amount on, on tests and quizzes. Um, I do have access to uh, an access aid. Um, and we'll kind of get into this as well, but there are like some differences for me and Jill. Um, I would say one of the main was the assignments. I never had the either option to get an extension or even if I'm really struggling, I've had issues with um, requesting for extra time and been denied and had to go through a long process of that. So um, the gist is the same, but there are some differences that we get for accommodations. So what is an access aid? Uh, and I guess, how did you get into that role? So Megan, maybe you can explain what is an access aid? 
to use non-politically correct, I am hired eyeballs, <laughs> basically, <laughs> um, if I can put it that way. Um, I am there to facilitate all of, to facilitate the student uh, understanding all of their visual elements to their class. Um, and sometimes that's reading things or like transcribing PDF files if they're really poor scans, I'll, I'll copy type them or I'll make it into a text file so that student can read it with the screen reader in Jill's case. Um, and yeah, just kind of facilitating anything that is difficult for them to access, I will access it and give them the information or, you know, help them through it. And yeah. Are, are you in class with them? Uh, not usually. So when I first started with Jill, it was to help her with a publishing class, like publishing design, visual design. And my friend was the instructor and the accessibility center went to her and asked, do you know anybody who is computer skilled enough to help with this course, but not a designer so that you don't imprint your own ideas on the student's work? Mm -hmm. And then she asked me and I was like, heck yes, sign me up. That sounds amazing. Because uh, I find human perception really interesting. And this was like a blind person taking a design course. Like, mm -hmm. what? <laughs> <laughs> How? Cool. Let's figure this out. Um, so for that class, because it was, you're learning computer software, you're learning design, it was very um, intensive. So I was in class with her for the entire duration of it, like describing images before the lectures, we'd go over the lecture slides. So I would describe all of the images present. And it was like art history kind of stuff. Um, and then like sit through the lecture and describe things as necessary. And then do all the computer work in the class and all of the design projects and the tutorials and all of that. Um, so for classes like that, I am in there somewhat, um, whether it's fully or just in the tutorial time, if that's necessary. Um, but lately with everything being remote and it mostly being like text-based things, we just connect over the phone and email and text and stuff. So it's, it's not usually necessary for me to be in the class unless it's exceptional circumstances. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this was not a position you were already in. This was a friend of yours reached out to you to kind of hook you in. Yeah. I used to work in the film industry in uh, music post-production. Um, and I, I've gone back to it, but at that time when I got into this, I was sort of on a hiatus, um, just taking a break and, and reconnecting and finding different things and different interesting things to get into. Uh, and this was certainly one of them, but because of my work in the film industry, I have a really strange skill set uh, to be able to convey complicated information in different ways. Like I used to teach, I, also, I teach music as well. So I'm used to explaining strange concepts and kind of getting into the, the way my student would think, like the way they understand the world, understanding how they understand it and then conveying information into their way of understanding. So it's um, going into a visual sense for it's someone who can't see and then taking the visual and understanding their framework. Okay. What's your normal? What's your world? How do you understand the world? And how can I convey this visual information into a way that you can understand it within your own framework of thinking? So mm -hmm. I have that skill set. So it just kind of like seamlessly blended into <laughs> instead of working with sound things, just working with visual things and non-visual uh, ways of understanding the world. And it, yeah, it was just kind of an interesting fit. So, so what I was that like for you, Jill? I mean, publishing sounds very visual. That must have been like, I, I'm imagining your first day of class when they're talking through all the things you need to do. Were you yeah. panicking? <laughs> um, because it was such like, it was a um, like graphic design course. I kind of knew what I got myself into. Um, I mainly took it because I like going into publishing and eventually into that industry, I thought it was really important for me to learn every aspect of it from like business, marketing and design, even though I was fully blind, um, which kind of threw everybody for a loop because you don't expect a blind person to take a course like that. So like the disability center was really confused and the prof didn't know how to like, approach it. 
Um, and then, but we all knew that I would need a set of eyeballs to help me figure out this course. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, actually at the beginning of that semester, nobody was really like, cause usually like typically access aids are um, other students who have already taken the course who see like the, the disability center sends out an email to the, um, I guess the student body more or less. And a student who's already taken the course will sign up and be the access aid. That's kind of the original intent of the access aid, but nobody was signing up to assist me with this course. And we were all kind of panicking. We needed someone to help. And I was really interested and I wanted to learn how you design a book and everything that goes into that like visual or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the prof was kind of like, she was trying to figure out how much I could see and what I understood. And from seeing before, um, I do understand, like I, I pick up on descriptions quite easily for the most part. So that's why I also knew this course was most likely going to be possible because I understood descriptions quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I explained all of that to her and then I guess she went to Megan and it all kind of worked out really well. But there's no way that I would have been able to do that course without Megan's help because we went from like just art history and with all the different, like those periods of art, the different components to that. And they're obviously very visual. So we went from that to designing, um, I think it was like a typography poster. So like I had to get Megan to describe different types of font to me, different text, like, and there's so many different types that like, I didn't know the difference. Mm-hmm. So we had to make them tactile through the disability center. And then she would explain which one's which and how they're different, just following along with the visual part. And I'd have my hands on my tactile part. Interesting. Um, yeah. So we went from making that poster with just typography to, I think we made a brochure. I think it was. Yeah. Um, and it was like a threefold brochure. So like me trying to understand how you, on the computer with a design software, you make like there's a layout of the three different folds and then you print it off and fold it. Like, how does that work mm-hmm. on the computer? So Megan, like sh- we found a lot of really unique tactile ways to make this course work from um, the disability center printing off like a tactile, like tactile fonts. So I could feel them that way. Um, they just had to make them big enough so I could see the different like parts to it. Mm-hmm. And then for the brochure, I honestly think Megan just, grabbed a sheet of paper and folded it like a brochure. And I would, with my finger, just draw, like just kind of air draw on the piece of paper what I wanted to be where, Mm. whether it was a text or an image or whatever. And yeah, that was how we did that one. That one was fairly straightforward, but when it came to the, we had to design our own little mini book. And obviously that includes like the front and back covers and all like the illustrations and like layouts of the pages inside the book. And then we also had to bind to the book ourselves, which mm-hmm. is very interesting. Um, so for that one, what did we, I remember for one part, we had like a flat Lego board and Lego pieces and we had different size like Lego blocks. And I would just put, like, this is the main page and I want an image here and text here and text here. And I want the text to kind of wrap around the image or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And Interestingly enough, Megan got my descriptions pretty quickly. So that kind of worked out well. And then I even for, um, she even sewed, was it a sewing machine you sewed part of like a border or something to show me what it looked like more? Yeah. So for the poster, um, for the the first draft printing of it. So I had it printed out on thick paper. And obviously there's, you know, fine tuning things that you do once you see it physical printed, like for a visual person, you can look at it and go, oh, it needs to move a little bit and, you know, shuffle things around on the page a little bit, but without being able to see it, it's like, how do you understand where things are falling on the page? So I just took this heavy sheet of paper with a printout in my sewing machine and I just stitched around the edges. We had a line drawing on it. So I stitched around the edges of that And I stitched around the text elements so that she could feel like, here's a block of text, here's a heading, here's this. So it had different tactile textures so she could get the gist of how big it is, where things are placed, what they are. Um, And then 
be able to like, oh, this maybe needs to move a little bit or that needs to move or this needs to be a different size. And we figured it out that way. So it was just a very, yeah, just a, just a tactile draft basically, which seemed perfectly logical to me <laughs> as a thing mm. and surprised a lot of people are like, oh, that's really like, yeah, clever. Because tactile, like you would, I, even me, like I would never think of sewing lines onto a piece of paper to feel, to make it tactile. Like that was mm-hmm. all you're doing. And I had like no idea. Like I, I didn't even think of it. Mm-hmm. And it was such a cool, like tactile form for me. I was so excited about that one. Yeah. But awesome. it, th- that was the really cool thing for like with you is that like, from my understanding, you had never worked with a blind person before, no. but you described things instantly without me even having to ask you, which was first of all, amazing. And like, you kind of just caught on to how I worked right away. And, but like you would just just start describing stuff and making things tactile without me even really having to ask, which was a huge help for me, especially yeah. with that course, right? So, how did you do in the course, Jill? Like overall, um, yeah. I think I got either a high B or a low A somewhere That's in there. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it, it was in like, a visual, I, yeah, yeah, predominantly visual course. That's mm-hmm. awesome. We were all quite like we honestly had no idea going into this how it was going to work. What we were going to do if I could even stay in the course because every course does have a, like a drop, like a deadline period to drop the course. Um, so we were all very aware of that deadline, but we made it work and it worked way better than I think anybody expected it to. So that was kind of a, it was a really cool thing for me to be able to do and like, look, like I can do a design course if I want to. It doesn't matter if I can't see or not. Right. So something that is coming to mind for me is how this would not like there's no way you could have done that during COVID without no. ha- being together, physically together, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. That's very true. Actually. It would have it would have been different. I mean, we would have made it work. <laughs> <laughs> I like your optimism. <laughs> I, part of this job is like, I'm here to help the student succeed. Right. And it's like, what can we do? I like absolutely try every option to make you get through this course. It's like, That's you want to succeed. I want you to succeed. So I'm on your team. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how can we figure this out? Like there's a way, there's always a way, right? Yeah, and if, yeah. Maybe we just explain things differently or, you know, try a different approach or throw everything at it to see what sticks. And that's, that's my approach to it. It's just like, well, roll up the sleeves and let's dive in here and like, let's get this done. Love it. Okay. So you helped Jill with the publishing course and clearly that was not the end of your access aid (laughs) career. So how did, what happened from there? It was just such an interesting experience and Jill is awesome and we get along really well. And we found this groove to working together where it's like all of my random weird skills and random weird experiences and lateral way of thinking about perception, I guess, um, that it made a really strong working relationship. And obviously she was thriving well in this class. And like, we were both learning and finding different ways to work. And um, it was just so fun. And it was, I was just like, I want to keep working with this person because I'm invested in her educational journey and be like, I can help her um, achieve what she wants to achieve. And like, give her my skills and aid her along her journey through university and, you know, successfully through to the end of it. And yeah, it was just, I just really enjoy this, this working relationship and learning things myself about disability and accessibility and just what it's like to live as a person without vision. And I just, yeah, I just wanted to continue. So I've been her aide for two, two and a half years. Yeah. Something going like on that. three in September. Yeah. Yeah. A while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, and, like, and she'll help me with every course too. It's not just the publishing ones. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of grown and gone into all the publishing courses and um, all my communication courses and the electives for our degrees as well. So it's kind of branched out to every course she helps me with now, which is great mm-hmm. because before it was a different student for every course for every semester and it got really like chaotic and trying to explain to each person what I needed help with. Like it was a Mm. lot and it was kind of frustrating. So having it be the same person each time makes it so much easier and like less 
stressful and chaotic for me. So that's been a huge help too, just having her like be for every class, right? So. Is there a, a minimum or sort of a maximum number of hours per course or how does that, like, yeah. how do you figure out? Yeah. Where are the limits with that? So the, um, the instructors will decide, like they obviously know the workload for their course and they can kind of estimate like, Oh, it's X number of hours um, per week that you need to spend doing the assignments or whatever. So that, the estimate of the hours comes from the instructor. Um, and that's what my contract, so it's a contract per course, basically. Okay. Um, just X number of hours for X number of money mm-hmm. for X number of weeks. Um, so they decide that, but the accessibility center is also like, if you find you're needing more time for this stuff, just let us know. And we'll figure it out. Right. Um, but we're pretty efficient. So <laughs> it's always under. <laughs> yeah. Never, yeah. I never really spend like, the max amount of time per week doing it. So, okay. So how did, how did you end up working with Ishita as well? So that was the psychology. I can't remember what class number it was, but it was a psychology course. (laughs) (laughs) It was a painful course for me. Yeah. Yeah. There was an aspect to it where the students were doing studies on each other. Um, So it was like developing research studies and stuff. So they would come up with an idea and then, you know, questionnaires or something to put their tutorial group through to gather data and then come to a conclusion. So because every student is generating their own thing, it was lots of handouts and lots of things like that. So I was helping Jill with her tutorial and then the accessibility center said, oh, we have another student in another tutorial. Would you mind helping her for these like three days, whatever that they were doing, all of these um, studies on each other. So that's how I ended up helping Ishita, which was just her tutorials at this time show up and <laughs> say hello and, and help her through, um, through all of the tutorial things. So it was a different experience too, because it was new student. So mm-hmm. how does this student interact with the world? Like, can she see at all? What can she see if she can see? Like all of that kind of question. So I asked a lot of questions at the start and uh, just to find out like the lay of the land basically, and then how I can best help her. So I worked with her through, I don't know how many days it was of tutorials, but. And how was that for you, Ishta? Uh, I, I mean, in terms of the actual uh, work, Megan was awesome. Uh, I thought, it, so going into it, um, when I first read the syllabus, I was like, okay, we're doing um, experiments. And I'm like, I was worried about not being able to participate in it. And I think a huge chunk of our grade was participation. So um I was like, okay, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I expressed that to my caseworker and I said, how am I going to do it? Like, is it going to be in uh, electronic format? Am I going to be able to, like, I, I can't leave the room if they're doing experiments. So, uh, and, and the response I kind of got was just, we'll see how it goes. And I'm like, I'm not the kind of person who um, likes to kind of just see how it goes when it comes to school. I like to be prepared. And um, I didn't want to be in a situation where I'm way behind from everyone else. And I kind of have to fix a problem um, in the moment when I can fix it beforehand. So I was very stressed about that. And I I expressed that to my um, caseworker and my teacher as well. And I I didn't really get the option of an access aid at the time. So they never told me that Megan was an option for me or anyone else was an option for me um, until I met Jill. So Jill and I were in the same class and that's how we met. Um, we were kind of just uh, coming from an exam together and um, our invigilator just introduced us and said, this is Jill, this is this, that. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, and I think like the first like two weeks, all we did was just talk about our accommodations and be like, what's, what's different for you? What's different for you? And Jill yeah, was the one did. who told me, <laughs> Jill was the one who told me about Megan. She's like, oh, I have this access, a, um, this, this person who helps me, Megan. And I'm like, that sounds awesome. I, I didn't know that was an option. She's like, you should ask the center. And I'm like, I didn't know that was something that they were providing us. Um, like I knew that there were no takers. I knew that we were getting extra time on, on tests and everything, but I didn't know that she was an option. So it wasn't until I asked them and I said, is this an option that I can have? And they're like, oh yeah. And I'm like, okay, but why wasn't it told to me beforehand? Cause then I asked them and I said, I was concerned about it. And they knew that I wasn't able to read print cause that was like a part of my um, accommodations getting stuff electronically because I can't read print on paper. Um, it was just kind of like, you know, we'll see. And that's just, so it wasn't until Jill told me that Megan was an option 
uh, that I got her. So that was a little frustrating on my end because I have to, and, and we notice this for a lot of our accommodations. I tend to have to ask for my accommodations or I learned mm -hmm. from it through Jill. Um, Jill tells me, oh, this is an option. Give it a try. And I'm like, I didn't know this was an option. I'll give it a try if I know it's there. Um, and one of the other examples was uh, in that class, we also had issues with uh, graphs. There was a lot of research. Oh, that was the yeah. name of the class. It was, I think, research methods. So a lot of graphs. And um, Jill and I were really struggling to learn that aspect of it. Um, I was able to see like the general outline of the graph, but I wasn't able to see the numbers, like the actual stuff you need to see. I wasn't able to see. So um, we talked about it and Jill's like, oh, you know, for my other classes, they make things tactile. Maybe we can do that for our graphs and we can ask how to do that. And I'm like, they can do that. They can make things tactile. I, I had no idea. So it's like Jill had these experiences with Megan before and I just wasn't privy to it for, I don't know what reasons, but um, there was a lot of that going on for that class. So mm -hmm. that's kind of my experience to that end. But yeah, with the actual experiments that um, Megan would come into my tutorial, I think it was about for three weeks. So we had three classes where we did that. Um, and it was generally surveys. That was um, what a majority of students did. And we would kind of just be in, in a corner and she would just like whisper everything to me and we'd kind of have to just like do it that way or, or we'd have to leave the class for like uh, for whatever amount of time and do things like that. So it was really helpful. I would say the only reason I passed the class was because of Megan, so <laughs> yeah. That's so frustrating though, that like if you didn't happen to meet Jill, you would be struggling through. That's really bizarre that, that you didn't, you weren't aware that that was available to you. Yeah, definitely. I think, and on paper, as far as I know, a majority, like a lot of our accommodations are the same. Mm -hmm. um, because like other, like what everybody is given, like I said, the note taker, all that stuff, uh, the extra time. Um, and I, and I, I don't receive the time on assignments or if, if not, um, I have to really fight for it. And I had an issue with one of my profs who, and I won't name like anyone, but it was an issue where it was a flow chart. You had to create a flow chart. And I'm like, I can't really do that on software because it's very hard for me to, um, first of all, use the software and uh, create that. But it, it just took a lot of time. And I'm like, this is quite uh, a frustrating situation. And I went to my professor. They're just like, well, did you try it? Like, they didn't believe me that I had tried and I wasn't able to do it. Mm -hmm. And I, I said, yes, I wouldn't come to you if I, if I, I wouldn't just like say I couldn't do it. Um, and when I went to the center, they said, um, okay, you would have to come here um, we would have to do it with you and that stuff. And and I, I live in Surrey and, and the center's in Burnaby. So going there and coming back takes a long time for me. The transit is actually, it's about like an hour and a half, depending on the day. Um, and I would, it would take about, they were saying five hours to complete the whole assignment when, and we only had a week to do it. So I would have to go five, either like twice a week and go and do it. And it was just getting to be a lot. And I was trying to arrange to do it either through Zoom or any other way, but I ended up figuring it out um, just on my own and because it was getting to feel up. But, and I had to ask the center to request for an extension. I was kind of on the phone for, I think like an hour or so. My caseworker wasn't in, so I had to, I had to ask a different caseworker. I don't know if that was your caseworker, Jill, but it was someone Maybe. else on the phone and, and and he sympathized with me. He's like, this isn't a fair situation for you where you know you have to request when you're not able to do something and the prof almost isn't really believing you. And it's like the tone that he gave me, I could tell it was not very polite and, and it was a lot of back and forth through the center. So it, it does get a little frustrating sometimes, but um, I'm really happy, like, happy that I have Jill here who can tell me. <laughs> Like, no, this is not how things should be, or, or you have this option here. Um, because unfortunately, there's not like a website for them where you can just look at, oh, okay, these are the accommodations I have available to me. You have to really ask. At least that's kind of my experience. Yeah. And like, basically, when you have that first initial meeting with whatever caseworker you're assigned to, you kind of explain your visual impairment, like how much you can see what accommodations you've needed previously, whether it's at a different like university or college or high school even. And this is kind of my, I guess, assumption is that because I am fully blind and Ishida has a bit of um, usable vision because like Ishida, you can just kind of zoom in and see some stuff, right? So I guess mm -hmm. they assumed you could see a lot more than I could, not just a little bit more. And yeah, it's almost yeah. like they didn't, think to give you to even explain the accommodations to you 
just because they assumed you could see quite a bit. Like it's almost like, and like you didn't really know all of the options. So how are you supposed to like ask them for whatever when you don't even know they exist? And they should have like they should have ex- understood your visual impairment a bit better, especially yeah. being the fact that they work at the disability center, right? Like it's almost like they kind of and- brushed your accommodations off or something. It was. Yeah. I was just really surprised know when we then, first met what? because, like, I didn't know any other, um, like, blind or visually impaired student at SFU at the time. And we were pretty much just like, here, sit, sit together and meet each other. Like, that was pretty much how it, we met. And yeah, like you should have said, we just talked about accommodations for like the first couple of weeks. And just the differences in our experiences, like, it was just shocking to me because right away I was told about all these accommodations. And we went through and figured out which ones I would need and which ones I didn't. And it's almost like you didn't really get the option. So I was always so surprised about that. I feel like this is sort of that, like totally blind is really easy for people to grasp. Mm-hmm. Whereas low vision, legal so blindness, <laughs> visually impaired, partially sighted, like what does that mean? People just don't know, right? I'm assuming, but you would hope <laughs> that the disability service would know and understand. Yeah. But yeah, that that's, I, I always find it even the most frustrating when it is a situation where it's disability related and you don't get your needs met. That's like, that's so hard. It's just it's ridiculous. Almost, it's almost like they're not starting with the question of how can we help you? Like, mm-hmm. How can we help you succeed? Because then you would be able to say, well, this would be great. And that would be great. And like, I can't see this kind of stuff. So if I had some hired eyeballs, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it would make it a lot easier. Um, but I guess they don't necessarily ask that question. They just kind of assume like, oh, you'll need this and this and this, but not these things. Cause they just make an assumption about your ability or the, the extent of your abilities. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how are you supposed to go and ask for what you need when they've never told you or explained it to you or even like briefly mentioned it was an option, right? So it should, I can only imagine how frustrating that would have been because I kind of got a little bit lucky in that sense, I guess, but I don't know. It just it doesn't seem fair and it's wrong that it, you didn't get the same like accommodations or even were told about them. It doesn't seem fair yeah. to me. I think this is where like self-advocacy comes into play a lot for me at least. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned the, and, and thankfully you don't switch caseworkers. Your caseworker is the same throughout the, at least in my experience, has been the same throughout the three years I've been there. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Jill said, each semester you go through accommodation lists and you kind of change what's, what's going on and what's not. So it's kind of hard to actually know even in the first week, because that's kind of when the accommodation meetings happen for me. And I think it happens for you too, Jill, where it's like the yeah. first week I contact you and, and they're like, okay, what do you need? It's like, well, I don't even know what's in the course yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I barely, I just know we have a textbook, we have lectures. I'm like, okay, yeah, the standards will apply in the sense of I'm going to need a note taker if that's possible. Um, I'm going to need lecture slides provided to me if that, if that can be done or, and it's kind of different during COVID, but um, especially but with this course, it, it was like presented, we're going to do experiments. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you're not going to, everybody's not going to do the same thing. And it's probably going to be very different. And I kind of thought that beforehand, but Definitely. And, and now I've gotten to the point where I'm like, okay, if I need uh, access aid, because I've heard that this class has graphs, um, can that be provided to me? They'd be like, yeah, you know, if you need it, let us know. Um, issue, like I've, I also had a really bad experience with this statistics class, which was all <laughs> graphs. Um, and, and unfortunately, the, the center wasn't able to do much for that one because the amount of work for that was given for that um, was just very difficult and I wasn't understanding the concept. So I needed a tutor as well as an access aid, but getting the tutor took so long and and then COVID hit and then we went online. So that was a really weird experience for me, but um, I had to keep telling the professor saying, um, you know, I'm struggling. I, I need help. Uh, what, what, is prov- what help is provided to me? What can I do? Um, what can you do for me? What can the center do for me? And it was like a whole... Um, I had to manage this this conversation between the center, between the professor and between myself. And and it got to be a lot. And it's not something that I think when you go into university, you expect having to do. They tell you about the coursework. They tell you about, oh, you know, be punctual. And, and you're going to have a lot of coursework and have a lot of different professors. But they don't tell you, uh, especially, you know, with the vision impairment, you're going to have to deal with a lot of this stuff. So it, it was like an awakening. But what's the I've difference with that, that too, like, 
if I am having an issue with the class, um, the, my caseworker will connect with the prof themselves and keep me informed, but they're the one kind of heading the, the plan to, f- to figure out how to make it work. But Ishida, you had to kind of do all that yourself. So it's just the way they approach your situation versus mine is so different. And it's mm-hmm. honestly, it's just weird. And like, there shouldn't, that shouldn't be, it shouldn't be that way. Right. It, mm-hmm. Like we both have visual impairments. We both have the same accommodations. Like, yeah, they're different programs, but that doesn't matter. We should e- like equally be getting the same amount of help from the center, no matter what the problem is. And it's just, it's so weird to see that, how different that is. What advice would you give to maybe, you know, visually impaired youth who are in high school who are going to be moving on to university? Like, is there any way you could have been prepared for the advocating that you would need to do to get the support you need? I think, because I know what for me in high school, I didn't know what my, like, I didn't know even what textbook my for- what format my textbook would be in. Our vision teachers kind of take care of all of that. So going into college and then into university, I had no idea what accommodations I even needed. I had no idea how to make any of this work. So I was completely lost for accommodations until they explained them to me. So I think going, if you're transferring from high school to university or college, knowing your accommodations and knowing exactly what you're going to need is going to be huge. And also just making sure you get it. And like I should have said, doing that self-advocacy and fighting for it because there's just so many, like so many situations in university where like the, the disability center can kind of plan and try and figure out as much of it for you as they can, but there's always going to be issues that no one kind of foresees. Like I constantly struggle with not getting my readings on time and the amount of times I've got into the disability center and put up a fight about it like is constant, like every semester. So just being aware of your accommodations and fighting for them, no matter what I think are my, the two main things I could take away from this to give to other people. Yeah, I, I'd agree on Jill with that. Um, knowing your accommodations when you're going, when you go in is a very helpful tool. Um, I, in my high school experience, my vision teacher didn't actually um, order stuff for me unless I wasn't able to. She really wanted me to be independent. And and I know it's very different for different people. Um, but uh, for me, that's kind of the experience I had. So I going into university, I did have a little bit of that skill with me, um, but it was still difficult. So I would say definitely know your accommodations. What I also did was I went to open houses of different universities and asked them before, what are their accommodations in their university? So um, a few other ones that I went to, like local universities in my area, I called them and or I went to their actual building and I said, okay, um, what would you provide a student with a visual impairment? What are your general accommodations? What are, what are things that I can expect if I come here? And that also helped me choose a university um, a little bit. I think that was a part of my decision because that's going to be a huge part of your university experience if you're visually mm-hmm. impaired or blind. So doing that, would I think, would also be a very nice um, thing to do. And yeah, going in, don't be afraid to ask and don't be afraid to I would say bother them if they don't give you what <laughs> yeah. you need. Um, just so constantly, you know, send emails, call them and be like, hey, like, um, I need this. Or I would say now ask them to lay out all of your options. Um, be like, okay, if these are the general options, what else in case I need extra help, what is available to me? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the step I would say. If I could go mm-hmm. back, that's what I would change. I'm curious how COVID has impacted every all of this so just university in general but especially when you do need some additional help how is how does that work i know for me um like every i think our disability center at sfu has i don't know four or five maybe even now six caseworkers and every student's assigned to a different one depending on that caseworker's like workload i guess technically mm-hmm. um Mine has been honestly amazing, and I was kind of surprised because I assumed with COVID and everything being online that they wouldn't get back to me right away. There'd be a lot of, like, um, issues with, like, contacting them and getting, like, a phone call set up even. But, like, they almost checked in more now than they did when I was in person because, Hmm. like, they'll email me or at the beginning of the semester when you set up 
your accommodations renewal is what they call it, you'll get an email from their like their front desk person or people, and they'll kind of set up a time for the caseworker to meet with you, whether it's through a phone call or Zoom, whatever. And like you'll spend, at least in my case, like we spend up to like an hour going over what it's going to look like because of COVID, how things are going to be different. And if I have any issues, any questions, I will email my caseworker right away. And within later that day, if not the next morning, like he'll get back to me as, like, as quickly as he can. Um, one, because I might have been a little pushy before. So he, he didn't stand to me sooner. But I also just like, he knows the struggles and he knows that a lot of the SFU websites aren't very accessible or like they don't really work that well with screen readers sometimes. And he knows that's been a big issue, especially for me because I'm not very tech savvy. Um, so like he, he's very aware of the issues that I've had and he knows with COVID that was possibly going to be even greater. So he's been really good about getting back to me and same with their, um, their transcribers, I think is what they're called, where they um, transcribe them like the reading materials if needed and PowerPoint slides. I've honestly had a very good experience with COVID so far with the disability center. Um, and ironically, our school's website, at least for me, is not compatible with like um, like through a web browser, but through their app, it's very accessible. Just super ironic and weird to me, but there's a lot of ways like we've kind of figured it out to make it work for COVID. Mm-hmm. And also Megan's also been a huge help with that as well. So, because anything that I can't figure out with the online stuff, Megan's like a text away pretty much. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm curious how the access aid relationship is is working remotely. It's great. I mean, I work from home. So when I do take on other other jobs and freelance things, I can basically set my own hours. So I'm available whenever Jill needs stuff. So she can literally text me and be like, Hey, can you look this up? And within reason, I'm like pretty well already at my computer. Mm. <laughs> so I can just be like, yep, I'm on it. And just like jump on it. So it's just like being on call or if we need to do research or something, we just set up a time. She's just like, Hey, are you free at this time? And then be like, yep, that works for me. Or like, Oh, can we make it a bit later or whatever? Yeah, it's, it's been fine. We work really well, like over the phone and over email and text and stuff. So it, it hasn't really changed it. I mean, yeah. Since you can't do the tactile description, are you finding that you need to be more verbally descriptive? Yeah. I mean, there isn't with the classes that she's in right now and has been in, in the like last semester, there are, there isn't the need for tactile things. So it is just easy mm-hmm. or, sometimes it's challenging to describe things verbally if it's charts and stuff you have to kind of reconceptualize information but yeah there there isn't the need for a tactile thing or if there is something that's like semi-physical we have a a good enough verbal working relationship (laughs) that I can explain something physical in a way that I know like you know put your hand this way and then feel this and then she can kind of understand a visual thing through a physical Mm -hmm. spatial It, it entirely depends on what trying to work through and what we're describing and stuff. So in archaeology course, there were lecture slides with images on like every single slide. And some of them were pertinent to like the, the information that she had to learn. And some were just funny cartoons and <laughs> maybe not relevant, but finding out how to describe like, you know, skull shapes and different like Neanderthal skulls versus later skulls and the differences and just, just describing that verbally so she can picture it in her mind of like the visual differences or like conceptualize the visual differences just through verbal means. Like we, we did okay at that. Wow. That was such an interesting situation because <laughs> there were so many photos and like, she was saying like different skulls for different time periods were different and like how to remember which one. And mm. we probably spent like, I don't even know, hours on the phone going over these stupid PowerPoint slides. Yeah. It was so <laughs> Very <long>. interesting. <laughs> There's so many. One thing about working with someone for a long period of time is that we have this like funny, friendly, casual relationship. So I can describe things in a way that I know she'll grasp, but that maybe aren't the most like um, uh, neutral way to describe something like as if you were presenting information to the general visually Mm -hmm. impaired public where it's like, it has to be 
politically neutral and right not not personal and not um not interpretive i guess mm-hmm. like if it's an emotional interpretation or whatever um, but because it's you know i know jill fairly well we've been working together a long time that we can describe things in ways that are it gets the gist across and makes us laugh along the way and as long as she's understanding what she needs to understand at the end of the day it's like how we go about that mm-hmm. um is it's a lot easier having that freedom and not being like restricted to a certain way of describing something. So. Yeah. It's more fun too. Right. Yeah. Exactly. If you're going to spend hours and hours together. You want to like each other and, and yeah. have a good time. I know yeah. volunteers that I've had. Yeah. Like readers or whatever end up usually being a friend because mm-hmm. you're just, they're there. <laughs> yeah. You're spending so yeah. much time together. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. the more you can laugh about something, especially through describing it, and I'm strictly thinking of that archaeology class because there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of weird descriptions happening, but <laughs> the more you can laugh about it and kind of make a shorthand for things, mm-hmm. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Jill, but maybe it makes it easier to remember things. It does. Like if we, if uh, whatever it was, you'll describe something in like kind of a funny way or like maybe a not like kind of a more unorthodox way that you know that I'm going to laugh at and I'm going to get it. And because we made a joke about whatever it was, it helps me remember it. And mm-hmm. it just, like, if I'm doing it, when it was a midterm and a, and a final, and, like, when I was do- answering the question, I rem- remember the description and kind of, like, smirked myself as I wrote down the answer because <laughs> it was just, like, such a funny description, but it worked and I understood it. That it, it, it makes it more fun, but it makes it more memorable just mm-hmm. because it was some funny little thing we came up with. That's great. I, I feel that sounds pretty ideal. You just mm-hmm. text or message when you have a question and bing, yeah. it's your personal education assistant that. <laughs> yeah. And it works like... because like, like I kind of know her schedule and she knows mine from like for my semester. Cause every mm-hmm. semester your schedule is a bit different too. Right. Just knowing like how well, like we work together and the different, like, there's been a lot of different courses with a lot of different components to it that she's helped me with like Mm -hmm. there's another course where I had to make my own ad so we went and Megan took photos for me and I told her what I wanted them to look like and Mm. like there's just been so many different components just so many different courses she's helped me with but there's no way that I would have been where I'm at in school right now if it wasn't for her because she helped me with research because the SFU online library is not very compatible with screen readers and now there is submitting assignments to Canvas which helped me with that like there are just so many little annoying details that aren't compatible with screen readers that mm-hmm. Megan just instantly like, okay, I got it. And she'll just go and help me with it. And it just, there's no way that I would be where I'm at without her. So she's been a huge help with school. It's also like having had the experience of watching and listening to you use your screen reader, then I'm understanding mm-hmm. how it interfaces, like what I'm sending you, how you're, um, interacting with it I guess Mm -hmm. so like I'm conscious of that when I translate a reading or something and making text files and like I know how it's going to come out on the screen reader side Mm -hmm. so I also make accommodations for that so it's less annoying for Jill to have Mm -hmm. to deal with um just like formatting things or removing links or you know stuff like that um having had the long experience of like, oh, how does this technology actually work and how can I make it easier for her to deal with? And How long did it take you to sort of get, get into the groove of working with somebody who is blind, being new to all of the technology and like, was it challenging? Uh, no, I think I picked it up pretty quick. Um, I asked a lot of probably stupid questions, but no, you are all in the stupid questions. <laughs> Some of them were things I just hadn't thought of before. Or like, I think I asked you like, oh, do you have a heightened sense of direction? Cause you can't see. And mm. you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's things that like, I, I don't know any other blind people, mm-hmm. uh, like other hadn't known any other blind people at the time before I met her. Um, so it's just things of just being curious and like trying to figure it out. But I'm, I'm technically adept and I'm used to picking up new software and figuring it out and then literally turning around and explaining it to someone, which is what I had to do sometimes in my old job. So yeah, I think I, I think I picked it up pretty quick and just some of the things were a little bit 
just slower because we hadn't really um, like learning how the screen reader worked. It was a while before that was like super clear to me because I just hadn't seen her use it that much. But the more that we just work together, it just sort of, I just under, naturally understand like, oh, okay, I see how that's functioning. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't particularly challenging. It's just always interesting and always something different and learning new technology is always kind of like that with its own quirks and, and uses and stuff. So, well, I think all of our listeners now want a Megan. (laughs) 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 Sounds fabulous. I'm so happy that you guys found that groove and Ishita, I hope that you get to have more of that support now that, you know, it's available to you. Yeah, definitely. I, I make sure I ask if I need uh, Megan and I, I specifically asked for Megan now. So uh, <laughs> that, that's what I'm doing now. So uh, thank awesome. you. Well, I look forward to working with you in the future as well. <laughs> Well, guys, I thank you so much for being here today. I think this has been a really interesting conversation. Uh, I've learned a lot and uh, things definitely have changed a little since I was in university too. So this has been great. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me on and being part of the conversation. It's been great. Thanks, Jill and Ishta for co-hosting today. Yes, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. I'm your host, Sean Marcelet. If you have a question, a comment, a request for a future topic, send us an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. Tell a friend about this podcast. Please share and join us again next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Music for this podcast is composed by Sean Bishop and Clement Chow. Production and audio editing by Rob Minot. For more information about Blind Beginnings and the work it does to support children and youth who are blind and partially sighted, along with their families, visit us on the web at www.blindbeginnings.ca. And also remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We thank you for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next time.